You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's hard to assess the whole picture after that performance. We'll we'll we'll, we'll uh, get on with it. We'll get a bowl game. We'll get and we'll 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 feel good about that. But there's not there's not a great feeling right now about a summary from this this season at this point. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough for the seniors. It's tough for everybody. Obviously, you know you don't want to come out to, to Iowa here and, and uh, you know have a game like this. But um, it, you know, it's what happened. And guys will will take it for what it's worth and, and learn from the tape. And we'll move forward because we do have another game and we, we definitely want to go out better than we did today. Uh, you know we got to put it behind us. I um, mean you know, a lot of us we got to finish class. Um, you know, we just kind of just focus on the next one. You know we got a 10-win season ahead of us still, so you know that's still in our head. Um, you know not not a lot of teams can make it to 10 wins, so you know that's it's still one of our goals. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Nate Klaus, and try to come up with analogies to describe how Nebraska finished. Uh, one of the best ones I think I came up with is, you know, Nebraska had a pretty good grade through the whole semester, and they just bombed the final. I mean, they just went into that final thinking that they could not study, not get ready, and not only did they fail it, they bombed it. 40-10 to 10, uh, losers to Iowa, and I, I think what even stings more, I mean, is the way it was administered. Nebraska was beat up front of the line of scrimmages, and to lose 40-10 to 10 with no turnovers, uh, that tells you just how bad of a loss this was. And it, it really kind of gives a sour taste to the end of the season as, as we kind of wait on, on, on where Nebraska goes next. And we're going to talk um, you know, to somebody from the Outback Bowl here later in the show um, to find out if the Huskers are indeed in the Outback Bowl or maybe even um, Nashville for the Music City Bowl because a lot is brewing behind the scenes uh, with the bowl game stuff. Iowa now is reportedly making a late push to go to Tampa uh, as they don't want to go back to Southern California for a second year in a row and potentially play Stanford. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that plays out over the weekend. But um, let's focus here, Robin, on and Nate on the end of the season. I mean, did, did you see this coming at all? And, and what does it kind of do to kind of sour uh, the 9-3 and three record? Yeah, I, I did not see it coming at all. And I think uh, it really spoiled uh, what had been a season of a lot of progress. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of reasons for optimism with the way the team seemed to be getting better, um, you know, over the course of the year. You know, they were doing things that they weren't doing last year, like closing out games in the fourth quarter, um, you know, running the ball well. And, but eventually, I, I honestly think that, it, that injuries ended up taking their toll in more ways than one. And uh, the, the tank just ran dry. And, you know, it was no more apparent than it was in, in that, that Iowa game. The Ohio State game, as, as brutal as that was, you can at least somewhat justify that because it was a buzzsaw situation, you know, on the road against the, the national two, championship. number two team in the nation uh, in, a, in a game that they were angry uh, to, to go out there and prove a point. Uh, but that Iowa game, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a program that, you know, <laughs> it got Bo Pelini fired uh, for, you know, losing that game and then winning that game. So it, it was certainly uh, one that was tough for Nebraska fans to swallow. And like you said, the manner in which it happened, where Iowa just came in and punched Nebraska in the face on both sides of the ball and dominated for four full quarters, uh, that, that, that was tough. Yeah, I don't know if I would say I, I didn't see it coming completely. I, I didn't think it would happen, but I, I wasn't totally surprised that, that they were able to or that they lost that game. I guess it was a manner in which they lost with, with uh, that, that really surprised me. I, I feel like, um, I mean, to, to lose three out of, 
your last five games does definitely leave a sour taste in your mouth. I, I go back to that Wisconsin game, and I wonder if maybe that was the game, that overtime game that maybe sucked a little something out of this team that had gone through so much and, um, you know, all the way back to, you know, last year. And, and of course, everything was Sam Foltz. And I don't know if that if there was just emotionally there was a lot that, that was on the line in that game that, that kind of got zapped out of this team. And then with the injuries uh, down the stretch, I'm sure that had something to do with it. But, yeah, the way Iowa beat Nebraska, I think, was kind of demoralizing because, like you said, Sean, there was no turnovers. It wasn't like uh, Iowa is a, a pick fest. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like Iowa is just this crazy, talented team that so far ahead of Nebraska in regards to talent. I mean, it was just a, a physical back alley fight that Nebraska just, uh, uh, for whatever reason, wasn't able to show up for. Yeah, they came into the bar pretty cocky, and, and they, they, they not only left the bar, they got just embarrassed um, by Iowa in that game. and. You know, guys, when you kind of look at this, the summation of this season, though, Nebraska 9-3, and three, I think about what this team was last year. Honestly, guys, last year's team had so much more talent. I mean, if you look at the last couple of games, particularly the bowl game, you had Alex Lewis, who's starting in the NFL. You had Andy Janovich, who's starting in the NFL. You had Zach Stirrup, who made the Chiefs roster before he had a suspension happen. Malik Collins, Vincent Valentine, Greg McBowen, Jack Gangwish. Um, even Byerson Cockerell. I mean, you, you think about the team last year. They had more talent last year on that team, and it never really came to its potential until the end, where I feel like this team really maybe overachieved at times. They got the breaks this year. I mean, they were trailing. When you look at a lot of their wins, Nebraska trailed not only in the second half, but in the fourth quarter in, in a lot of their victories at times this year. So um, I think the staff – got a lot out of this team, and it's really easy in a market like Nebraska where there's so much passion, there's so much media, there's so many fans, where you can get a little bit ahead of yourself. You can kind of want more, more, more. Um, and I think that's what happened this year. I think we got maybe a little bit ahead of ourselves of what this team was. Um, it's a team that we all thought was maybe 8-4, and 2-10-2. Well, they kind of hit the middle of that projection, but it's just the blowout nature. That That's what really hurts, Robin. Yeah, and I guess the, the fool's gold of the 7-0 and start um, you know, obviously, after that Oregon game, people were riding pretty high, and we all know what happened with Oregon. Uh, and then you you know start off what three and zero in conference play, heading into Wisconsin, and lose an overtime game. And you know, even though that was a loss, a moral victory. Yeah, almost. you're still feeling good that you know Nebraska went up to Madison and didn't get absolutely humiliated. And then uh, things came crashing down hard that next week, and Nebraska ends up losing you know three of their final five. But games. here's the Minnesota and Maryland games are so encouraging. That that's what's hard to to swallow. When you think about it, they, they they played a great game against a quality Minnesota team. But there were there were clearly red flags in that game, especially you know in that Minnesota game when Tommy went down. You know uh, they were able to get by against Maryland, and but Maryland's a really really bad team, and that game was at home. Nebraska should have dominated that game, and they you know scored twenty eight points, almost all of which coming in the first half. So yeah, they, I mean they they got the job done against Minnesota, kind of eked out a win there. They took care of business against Maryland, but then uh, I think just kind of the the totality of all that they were able to mask. Uh, throughout the course of the season. It all kind of showed up. It all kind of showed up. You know, nothing was right. I mean, the offensive line wasn't right. Tommy wasn't right. The receivers weren't on the same page. You got Stanley Morgan yelling at Tommy after running completely different routes. You got the defense making complete terrible pursuits to the ball to where one cut on a run up the middle goes for a 70-yard touchdown run. I mean, those things didn't happen 
all season. And for whatever reason, it just kind of all hit a boiling point in Iowa City and uh, ended up being probably, well, easily uh, the worst loss of the season. Well, we're going to talk more about that here um, in, in our next segment. Also, we're going to discuss the the firing of special teams coordinator Bruce Reed. That happened on Sunday, and uh, we're going to give our thoughts on that and kind of where Nebraska goes next. But, yeah, it's bowl game discussion. Um, it really looks like two options for Nebraska uh, the Music City Bowl in Nashville are the Outback Bowl in Tampa, and, and we won't know until Sunday afternoon, until after the final rankings come out. And a lot of it will depend on if the Big Ten gets four in the uh, New Year's Six, which should happen uh, unless maybe a Pac-12 team comes in and steals one of those bids away uh, from a Wisconsin or a Penn State. But um, a lot to look at here. Uh, I think you know, the ending of this season could hurt Nebraska's chances to go to Tampa, and that's what Iowa, I believe, is trying to push for and why they want that trip. And who wouldn't want Tampa? It's an eight-day trip where um, you, you go to uh, San Diego. It's a, a December 27th game, and you miss Christmas. So I think from uh, being attractive, the Tampa trip is a more attractive trip uh, on January 2nd. It's an ABC game. So uh, we'll talk about that as well with Mike Scholes from the Outback Bowl. But we'll give our thoughts on the dismissal and firing of Bruce Reed. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, I think that it was no better than a mixed bag today. As a matter of fact, it was less than that. I don't think that there was anything that looked very good. The return teams, coverage teams, none of it was real good today. And But it was, it was also pretty much a picture of how our team looked. I'm real disappointed for everybody regarding that. I think that, that uh, we're, we're all kind of responsible for that. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Nebraska head coach Mike Riley following the Iowa game on Friday um, discussing Nebraska's poor special teams play where Iowa really completely dominated all of the phases in the return game and the coverage games and and everything. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and A. Klaus here as uh, we discuss now the firing of Bruce Reed. So that was Mike Riley on Friday. On Sunday afternoon, a statement was released by Mike Riley uh, that special teams coordinator Bruce Reed had been fired. And in, in, this has been, I think, coming. You know, a lot of people, fans in, in general, I mean, he, he was the lightning rod. He was the lynch mob was after Bruce Reed. And, and rightfully so. The, the special teams performance was not good. You Considering the fact when Mike Riley inherited this team in 2015, the Huskers had just come off a year where they pretty much led the nation in special teams. They had the nation's best field position, a 36.1 average. Uh, that was with Sanfoltz. That was with the Mornay personnel in his best year. And Drew Brown was in his freshman year. But nonetheless, there is no reason why Nebraska special teams, Robin, should have been at a point where they were at this year. When an assistant coach's salary gets its own hashtag on Twitter. And own Twitter handle. That says everything you need to know about uh, where he stands with the fan base. Uh, You know, I just remember, you know, seemingly after every game and, you know, before the Monday press conference doing those, you know, what we learned and, you know, questions. It was always, will the special teams get better? No, it never did. Uh, In fact, you look at the final numbers. Nebraska ranked 12th in the Big Ten and 127th out of 128 teams nationally in net punting. 
They ranked 106th in punt coverage, giving up an average of 11.2 yards per punt. Crucial return. returns. You think about the Wisconsin one, yep. the Iowa one, um, Indiana. They gave up a really big return that allowed the Hoosiers to kind of make that a game. And so. that's not even counting the penalties that extended drives, turned punts into first downs for the other team. Uh, and kickoff returns, or kickoff return coverage, sorry, they ranked 90th. And they ranked 73rd in punt return average. So the numbers speak for themselves. Nebraska was one of the worst teams in college football and special teams in every single This area. was maybe, as far as kick returns go, I thought maybe the worst year I can remember. There was, it was never a threat. I mean, if they got past the 30, it was a success. I mean, you were happy if they got past the 20. I mean, yeah. that, that's kind of where it was at, Nate. Well, yeah, and to me, you never saw the development. I, I think at the beginning of the year, you know, with when you had a couple guys back there like Trey Bryan and, and Jordan Nelson, you're like, okay, well – uh, maybe maybe things will come together. Maybe that unit will gel, and we'll 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 see one of these guys break one eventually. And, and same with the punt return unit. You know, we'll see Demorne Pearsonell eventually break one, and it just never happened. Or, he, Oregon, he had the one against yeah, Oregon. He had that one that against basically Oregon. Basically, set the comeback up. Yeah. Um, but you, I mean, I just I felt like all season long I was I was kind of in the boat of giving Bruce Reed the benefit of the doubt. You know, hey, this guy is is working with a true freshman punter, trying to replace a guy like Sam Foltz. You know, there's there's some young faces on these units. Let's see what happens. And I just never saw that development there, especially the kind of development that you would expect from a guy whose sole job is to do nothing but coordinate special teams. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washhead, and Nate Klaus as we discuss the dismissal of Nebraska special teams coordinator Bruce Reed. And, and there's a couple things that I just want to see go away. Please stop doing the spread punt. I'm yes. just not a fan yeah. of it. Okay. And I've talked to people that know football way more than I do, and, and this is the knock they have on the spread punt. You're, you're putting three offensive linemen out there and a punter. So essentially, you only have seven guys that can make a tackle uh, because a good kick return or punt return guy is going to be able to make the punter and the three linemen miss at the very end. And um, th that was a huge issue. And on the return game, too, for Nebraska, you know, why aren't they, as Bill Callahan would say, vicing the gunners? Bill Callahan would always would say, like, we vice the gunners. <laughs> that was like his. But why, why aren't they double teaming? the outside gunners more and, and trying to, you know, give DeMornay a real opportunity. Instead, he's catching the ball and, and you know, it, it's like a battlefield of guys and swords running right at him in his face when he's catching the punt. I mean, he has no chance if you're not going to hold up the blockers. Yeah, if he didn't make three or four guys miss on every return, he was going nowhere. Uh, and I think that got to his confidence a little bit. How many times did we see he actually got a returnable ball and he was just kind of naturally conditioned to fair catch it? Mm -hmm. And so he, even when he had a chance, he, he would spoil the opportunity. Uh, I also want to see them get rid of that stupid swinging gate thing on extra points just line up and just kick a the waste point. of time yeah like no you, you didn't run anything except the that. first game of the year <laughs> yeah. they ran a fake against fresno uh, it was all to mess with mark helfridge and oregon yeah. you know because oregon did that to them for years yeah well that, that obviously paid off in the long run so yeah <laughs> so clearly a lot of the adjustments i mean get back to basics you know so they, they got to give DeMornay an opportunity to be DeMornay. I think that's mm -hmm. probably the biggest thing. You have that big of an X factor on your team, and you basically relegated him to just a, a safety return catch guy. Uh, that, that, that can't happen. Mike Riley said it week in, week out. We have to get DeMornay going, and uh, whoever ends up filling the spot as a special teams coordinator is going to have to make that priority number one to get the return game going. And I remember on the previous staff, Nate, I mean, John Papuchis, when he did special teams, he was real big about just, yeah, keeping it basic. You know, let, let's not try to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Let's 
let's line up in a traditional special teams formations. And, you know, Ross Ells took over when he was like doing 17 jobs at once <laughs> and, and things kind of went downhill big time on special teams. And that's when Bo Pelini readdressed it and, and he took it in himself with Jeff Jamrog, who really does know special teams well. It's one of his real strengths. And they put it all together that year, and they led the nation in all those categories. Uh, and that was the final year of Pelini. So there is just no reason when you dedicate a guy like that that you should be that bad. No, there there really isn't an excuse for it, especially when you have some built-in weapons like a DeMornay personnel, which you, like you said, Robin, you basically took away an X factor uh, from from yourself. And, and and I agree in the fact that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to get super fancy to be efficient at special teams, to, to be productive on special teams. So, um, And then on top of that, you know, Bruce Reed really didn't bring anything to the table from a recruiting perspective either. So he didn't. No, yeah, <laughs> breaking breaking news. Uh, no, I, so I, I think it was pretty easy at the end of the day for for Mike Riley to kind of make this type of decision. There were no recruits that he was directly tied to at all. Well, I mean, Caleb Lyborn, the punter that that he signed last year, but other than that, not a single guy. That Bruce Reed was was uh, a lead man on, or was you know kind of co-recruited, or, or whatever. Um, there there was nobody, so you're getting zero production on the recruiting trail, and you're getting lackluster results on all your special it, teams, which he was the sole solely responsible for. So I, I think it you could get a lot more uh, production out of somebody than what Bruce Reed was giving you. As we wrap it up here, Nate, one final thought I want to ask you this question um well first of all next year they're gonna have to find a new kicker I mean they have one more year with Drew Brown so in the 2018 class they will have to start shopping for a kicker so that will be interesting to see what they do with special teams and how they go about that and then secondly Caleb Lightborn I mean is he the guy like I just didn't see enough that warrants me to believe that you can just ride this guy out and think he's going to be a four-year starting punter here, but you've committed the money to him. So um, it is a really interesting conundrum with your kicker and punters um, and, and kind of what you've invested there going forward. Yeah, I think Caleb Lightborn can be the guy. I think the talent is there. I, I feel like it's all between his ears. I, I think he was a guy who was pressing, trying to come in and, and be, you know, um, basically be Sam Foltz. You know, he had a lot of pressure on his plate, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the bowl game because there's really – I mean, who's going to coach special teams going forward uh, unless Mike Riley makes a quick decision here? Well, lots to discuss. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that all shakes out. And speaking of the bowl game, I caught up with Mike Scholes, the media director of the Outback Bowl in Tampa. We'll get his thoughts on where they're at in their decision process. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, as we get you ready for bowl month, we're still awaiting word. Uh, we won't know until sometime on Sunday where Nebraska uh, could end up going as far as their bowl game uh, prospects go. But uh, one of the s- spots that looks really promising at this point is the Outback Bowl in Tampa. It's a January 2nd bowl uh, on ABC, nationally televised against the SEC. And uh, we're pleased to be joined by Mike Scholes, uh, one of the representatives, the media uh, director here for the Outback Bowl. Mike, first of all, uh, thanks for taking some time here to join us. I know you guys are kind of in your really busy week just trying to get things figured out. Yeah, Sean, I'll tell you, it's, uh, you know, it's always very interesting this time of year trying to uh, figure out, you know, who might be available to us. 
uh, by the time we get to Selection Sunday. And, you know, the system's a lot different than it used to be. You know, typically by now you pretty much knew if a team was going to be in the BCS or not in the BCS, regardless of where they might go. Uh, and and the rest of us, you know, right at that next level bowl game could could uh, pretty much determine who was going to be there for us to, to choose from, and we could start – you know, figuring out who we wanted to invite and and so forth, and now it's a lot more difficult because of the uh, the way that the the selection committee um, puts together their their ranking system on the uh, selection Sunday, um, and and a lot of times what we found in the first couple of years of this system is that you know you can't really go by what the rankings were the previous week because a lot of times even though teams aren't playing this last week. Um, you know, a lot of times teams move around, and depending on where these, you know, a team is ranked, uh, that you know it determines exactly you know what slots they go into 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 the, the New Year's Six bowl games, and then uh, you know that can have a lot of bearing uh, with regard to our bowl game as far as who's available. So, you know, it's a really uh, it's a wait and see situation. Uh, it's not something that we prefer, but it's it's just the reality of, of how it's done now. We're joined by Director of Communications for the Outback Bowl, Mike Schultz, here on the Husker Online Bowl. And, yeah, there's there's two things really that make it kind of complicated to follow. Number one, you mentioned the New Year's Day 6 and the possibility, uh, a really good likelihood of the Big Ten maybe getting four teams in there. But, you know, the Pac-12 might have something to do with that or say about that, or you might get a third Pac-12 team in there. But also that Orange Bowl-Citrus Bowl relationship that's yet to have been exercised by the Big Ten, uh, where they could give up that that uh, Citrus Bowl spot. I mean, how difficult? I mean, how how difficult do those things kind of make it to kind of really paint a clear picture here, uh, less than a week out? Yeah, you know, it, it can uh, from year to year. In the first couple of years, you know, we we there was a situation the first year, for instance, of this new system where uh, there was a Big Ten team. I think it was Michigan State was ranked like three spots ahead of Mississippi State uh, for like the last three weeks of the of the season in the rankings, and then finally on that. And so so turned to of course is the fact that if if a Big Ten team uh, fills an Orange Bowl spot, then the Orlando does not get a Big Ten team. Uh, we were looking at that a couple of years ago, and and here Michigan State. Was ranked ahead of Mississippi State, you know, for three straight weeks, and then in the final rankings, even though neither team played that week, um, Mississippi State jumped Michigan State, and so then an SEC team went to the, to the the Orange Bowl, and and thus Michigan's, you know, uh, a Big Ten team and then went to the went to the uh, Citrus Bowl and so forth, and so yeah, I mean, it, it it's something where you know it it just is another factor where it's very difficult to predict. You know what's going to happen because of these rankings. I do think this year that it's pretty clear that, that you know, based on on the the teams and where they're ranked right now, the Big Ten will take a a Orange Bowl slot this year ahead of the SEC. And of course, Notre Dame is not is not uh, really eligible. To, but again, it, it, you know, we're really not sure how many Big Ten teams are going to go uh, into those six bowl games and or even in the playoff for, for that matter. And and therefore, it, it does trickle down and affect uh, you know teams could potentially be available to us. You look at Nebraska, Mike. They're sitting there at nine and three. Uh, had a had a pretty good season. Um, you know, ranked inside the top twenty five still. So they they kind of fit the criteria of a lot of teams you've taken from the Big Ten. Uh, what do you guys like about Nebraska? They've never been to the Outback Bowl as maybe a potential team that you guys could bring in this year. We've been watching Nebraska you know, all year. They're a quality program, a quality team. Uh, this year, obviously, they've done a great job. Uh, uh, you know, the the coach, uh, you know, has done a great job with the team the last couple of years, and and they're on the right track. Obviously, you know, we're we're very high on on programs like Nebraska. You know, we've been 
keeping a very close eye on them all year. And, you know, obviously, you know, we're going to sort of wait and see until Sunday, figure it out exactly who we have to choose from, what the options are, and then try and make the best decision possible uh, for the bowl game uh, and for the teams. We, you know, you know, of course, we also uh, factor in, you know, who the, the opponent might be on the other side and who we might be able to get from the other conference. And so, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, but, uh, you know, we've learned that uh, we just really have to wait and see until selection Sunday until we know exactly who's uh, who's eligible for us, and then at that point we make our decisions. And, and uh, we know that you know with the Big Ten Conference, especially this year, and, and typically the SEC, you know there's always uh, a lot of great teams to choose from, and, and we're always going to have a great matchup. So we're looking forward to this year's. We're talking to Director of Communications Mike Schultz from the Outback Bowl. Uh, as you look at the other side of it on the SEC, how intrigued are you going to be with what the committee does with that ranking as far as the Sugar Bowl goes, the highest ranked team? Um, from the SEC, not named Alabama, will get that Sugar Bowl invite. And at this point, your guess is as good as mine what direction that committee is going to go a- after the games end on Saturday night. Yeah, exactly. And and again, you know, it, there, you know, and then there's you know the, the situation there with this, the Sugar Bowl. I mean, you know, so you like you said, I mean, you know, the highest ranked SEC team. Uh, not going to the semifinals. Uh, we'll, we'll fill that, that Sugar Bowl uh, slot this uh, this year, and then you know we have to sort of you know wait and see what the Citrus Bowl does, the, the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl actually over in Orlando, and because uh, they they pick ahead of us, and then and then we're in a pool of teams, you know, with the SEC uh, with the uh, bowl games with the SEC to to choose uh, you know uh, an SEC opponent. Pretty much a logjam of teams there right now uh, in the SEC that are all very close record-wise and so forth. So it's going to be a pretty big pool of teams to choose from there, and we're going to have to sort of sift through that a little bit and figure out you know who would be the best team. And, and again, it, it, it also you know we, we factor in who's on the other side of the of the uh, the matchup as well. So when we have a, maybe a clearer picture as, as to who we're going to take on the Big Ten side, that that can obviously affect which team we might want to choose on the SEC side. Now Florida went to Orlando last year. If they wouldn't go to the Sugar Bowl, how, how much would you guys covet Florida? Just with the the natural uh, ge- geography right nearby Tampa. Well, you know, obviously they're they're always a fun team for us to have. You know, with with the proximity and 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 you know they're a major program. I mean, they they you know they're they're one of the big names out there. And and you know and and really this year uh, I know they they've struggled in a couple games with being very beat up and so forth. But if that present itself you know certainly i mean as a runner-up in the sec conference you know obviously they'd be very attractive to look at the at them as well as some of the other teams we have to choose from so um but yeah they're they're always a fun team to have but uh, we haven't had them i i don't think since uh, uh the the january 2011 game so you know that could be an option but we don't know we don't know if they're going to be even available to us We've, and if they aren't then you know certainly we have a, a number of other good teams there as well so you know we really we really just don't marry ourselves to anything at this point Point. Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense to because there's there's too much that can happen. And, and as uh, this, well, really every year, but certainly this year and even last week can tell you, you know, uh, everything, you know, every week something unexpected is going to happen in college football. And all it takes is somebody you don't don't expect to lose to, to lose suddenly and, and everything can shift around. I mean, if, you know, I mean, what if Auburn were to somehow catch uh, Alabama this year? You know, what happens if uh, if Clemson or, or Washington loses? You know, obviously the, the CFP 
rankings will come out tonight and we'll have a better feel as to who's really at the top there. But, you know, any disruption of of the order, the pecking order, if you will, where the rankings are tonight between then and, and Sunday can really throw a wrench in the whole thing and move a lot of people around. And, and the domino effects, you know, down it reverberates down through the bowl system. So, you know, we're just going to wait and see, you know, what happens uh, Saturday and then see what the committee decides on Sunday. And then Sunday afternoon, we'll be able to be in a position to know exactly what our options are, you know, make a, a pick. And we know we're going to have a great matchup regardless, and we're looking forward to getting our teams. As we wrap it up here real fast, Mike, uh, I know a lot of Nebraska fans are kind of eyeballing a trip to Tampa. If indeed it is Nebraska, give Husker fans an idea of what they can look forward to over the bowl week in Tampa. Well, I'll tell you what, this is one of the best bowl destinations uh, in the country. Uh, there's probably a lot of bowls that will say that, but i got to truly believe it. We hear it from the teams all the time uh, that if they can't go to their conference championship bowl game, they want to be here. Uh, they, you know, there, There's a lot to offer here. And, and one thing, too, is very unique. Uh, Florida is very unique in that different parts of Florida are very different from each other. You know, We're not Jacksonville. We're not uh, Orlando. Uh, we're not uh, Miami. We're, a, we're a much more of a Midwestern uh, type type of a, a, an area in west, west uh, central Florida here. Uh, we have the beaches here, a lot of water. Um, you know, we have amusement parks, great aquariums, zoos, and so forth. A lot of outdoor, outdoor activities. We have some of the best craft beer uh, breweries here, uh, some of the best uh, restaurants in the state here. A lot of different uh, types of things to do here, museums, uh, and some of the best beaches in the country. And so you have a, uh, it's a lot different experience here than you would experience um, if you've been to a, another bowl game in Florida. It's not going to be the same as what you would see here. And, and uh, we have a number of teams and fan bases that will test to that and and uh, and I think support that, that theory. So it's, uh, you know, if the, the Huskers uh, have a chance to come to the Outback Bowl, the, their fans will not be disappointed. This will be one of the best bowl trips that they've ever had. Well, Mike, I think I speak for a lot of people here in Nebraska on January 2nd. I think a lot of the people from Nebraska would like to be in Tampa. So we thanks uh, thanks again for uh, joining us here, and we look forward to Sunday to hearing more. Sounds great. I appreciate it, Sean. Thanks so, so much, and uh, you have a great day, and we'll, um, we'll see what happens this weekend. All right, when we come back, we'll shift our focus over to Husker basketball as Nebraska took a tough loss on the road on Wednesday night at Clemson. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washington now as we shift our focus over to basketball. This segment here, though, on the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner's Bar and Grill in Omaha and Lincoln with five locations in Omaha and now two in Lincoln. Uh, Tanner's will be your destination here this weekend um, not only to watch uh, football, but also basketball, but uh, lots of football on tap here, Championship Saturday. So make sure you get into any of those seven Tanner's locations in the Omaha and Lincoln area as uh, there'll be plenty of football to watch here on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but, Robin, uh, let, let's shift over now to Husker basketball. It's been kind of a rough little stretch here. Um, a lot of kind of what I would call moral victories in some respects. Uh, the Huskers were underdogs in these four games in a row. I mean, you have Dayton, UCLA, Virginia Tech, Clemson. They were they do- they were dogs at, against Dayton, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yep, so, five point dogs. So you look at that stretch. I mean, Vegas and the experts said Nebraska should have lost all four. They went one and three. 
you could make a strong case they should have went two and two. Uh, Wednesday night's loss at Clemson in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, a 60 to 58 loss, where Nebraska had multiple opportunities in the final seconds to win that game. Yeah, I mean, you make the argument two and two. You can make the argument for three and one. I mean, because they are should have you know handled Virginia Tech. Uh, the second half complete letdown in that game that uh, turned a, a halftime lead into a loss. Um, and then obviously, you know, the other night uh, going down out to Clemson, I mean, they had a legitimate chance to win that game at several points, especially, you know, a couple in the final minute. And they couldn't stay out of their own way. Um, you know, there's just that, that traveling violation, not calling a timeout. Um, you know, that's on the players. It's not on the uh, Tim Miles in the, in the final seconds. Ended up leading to a kind of a mad scramble for the ball and a traveling violation. So led to another free throw by Clemson. And then. On the final play, Ty Webster had a wide-open runner in the lane to tie it, and it just bounced off the rim. And so, it's you know, the moral victories are nice and all, but as Tim Miles said, you know, this he doesn't want this program to be the little engine that could. You know, he, he wants this to be a program that can go and win these types of games. Uh, you know, keeping it close doesn't do you any favors. I mean, granted, uh, their RPI is, you know, getting better and better by the week. I think in the Ken Palm rankings, they're up to, you know, they started the year at, you know, 78, and I think they're up to 73 now, despite, you know, losing three so in a row. So they're actually getting higher. Yeah, these... they're getting respect, but at the same time, you know, you got to win games. To uh, make like the NIT, yeah, I, um, with... you've got to have above 500 record usually, and yeah. that's where, you know, in the non-conference, you play 12 games, Nebraska needed to kind of shoot for eight and four, and right now conventional wisdom would say seven and five, unless Nebraska was able to knock off Creighton or Kansas, and that that's going to be a daunting task. Yeah, and you know there are three more, I guess, quote unquote, guaranteed wins, not guaranteed, but that likely gets wins. Seven. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you're looking at potentially beating you know two top ten teams. Uh, to, to get to that eighth win, so unlikely to say the least. But that's where they needed to steal one of those yeah, four, and in they that had stretch. their opportunities. And that's the most disappointing thing about this, because I think to get to the NIT, seventeen wins is kind of your golden number. Uh, if you can get to seventeen with the schedule that they have played, uh, they're going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt, especially with how close they've kept it. You know, they're not getting blown out in any of these games. They were an eleven point underdog at Clemson, and they should have won that game. So clearly, Nebraska is playing better than what their record shows, but that doesn't mean anything in the final in the final you know when it was all said and done you, you got to end up finding ways to win these types of games and right now with a young team Nebraska just hasn't proven they're able to do that and then they'll come home here on Saturday uh, it's a one o'clock game against South Dakota obviously a lot of connections there with Craig Smith being the head coach and then Creighton comes in Wednesday night uh, for a nationally televised game at uh, eight o'clock. It's a later tip off. Uh, I believe that's actually a BTN game. BTN, yeah. Um, so Creighton comes in in the top ten undefeated, and then the following um, on Saturday uh, of the next week, it's at Kansas for the big game in Lawrence uh, before Gardner Webb and Southern, and then you open up Big Ten play with an eight day break before Christmas. So uh, when you look at this, Robin, I honestly don't remember a time where Nebraska has played a more difficult non conference schedule particularly this stretch. You look at Louisiana Tech. This is a team that was picked to win Conference mm -hmm. USA. You have Dayton, a team that's picked to win the A-10. 25-win yeah, team from a year ago, made the NCAA tournament, and returned the good portion of their roster from a year ago. So you have Dayton and Louisiana Tech, two teams picked to win their leagues. UCLA, you could easily win the Pac-12 this year. UCLA is a potential Final Four team. Virginia Tech and Clemson, two ACC teams that are are you know going to make the tournament. Are Both top 40 teams. Top 40. Then you have Creighton, obviously, who we know is a top 10 team, and Kansas. Kansas, who's a top five type team. I mean, this is it's brutal. They really, in a year where Tim Miles is quote unquote maybe on a hot seat 
they really overscheduled in a lot of ways. Well, they did so thinking this was going to be their strongest team that he'd had. And uh, the way things happened over the course of the offseason, it didn't work out that way. Uh, when you lose your leading scorer on a kind of a random defection to uh, go play and for— he's now Syracuse's yeah, leading yeah, scorer. So, I mean, but, you know, uh, still they, they built this schedule thinking that this was going to be the year that they made that push. And— it's going to be difficult with a, a young team like this, especially losing the close games they have already. Uh, I think that if a couple of those go a different way, um, you know, may, maybe you're kind of viewing the season a little bit differently. But yeah, it's it's going to get extremely difficult because not only do they finish up non-conference with that, you open Big Ten play at Indiana, and at it, Maryland, <laughs> and then you got Iowa coming. To you Tampa. got Iowa Northwestern at home. The Northwestern's better. And then yeah, so I mean, it's just there, there are no games off. Rutgers, Rutgers just lost for the first time the other night. They were started the year six and zero. They played Miami tough. Yeah, for and they were the one team that, that Nebraska game. was supposed to be better than. So uh, it's 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 going to be a grind, and it's going to really kind of test what this team is made of. Um, you know, you got a, a roster with one senior. And uh, side note, credit to Ty Webster. That guy has been playing better than anyone could have possibly imagined, and he's been probably one of the brightest storylines uh, of this season so far. Far. In fact, during that Virginia Tech game, one of the announcers mentioned Ty as a potential first-team All-Big Ten player if he's able to keep up his level of play. So, uh, what a turnaround! I mean, you're talking about a guy that people were ready to, you know, send back to New Zealand. All of a sudden, he's the the, the key piece to this entire team. And obviously, Glenn Watson has played exceptionally well. Uh, Ed Morrow is finally starting to become that four-star player that we all thought he was going to be. So, there's a lot of reason for encouragement. But unfortunately, with the way the schedule sets up. I don't know how much that's going to show wins and losses just because it's just going to get uh, brutal. Here. And then you look at the one plays. I mean, Nebraska, all the easier teams, those are their one plays. They don't play Penn State twice. They don't play Minnesota twice. They don't play Rutgers twice. Yeah. You know, when you, when you can get some of those as your, your, your home and home versus the one plays, that's when you can maybe get your team up there and then, you know, try to get closer to 500. But it, it is going to be a challenge yeah. when Ohio State's a, a two-play on your schedule. Michigan and Michigan State are two-plays. Um, it, it is a brutal, brutal task at hand uh, when you look at uh, who Nebraska plays twice on the schedule. They have Iowa twice as mm -hmm. well. Uh, but it, it will not be easy here for Tim Miles. Uh, but I'm encouraged. I, I like a lot of the parts of this team, Robin, and – uh, I'm looking forward to um, kind of seeing how things play out. And I'm not ruling the Creighton game as a loss. I, I think this team at home, you never know. If they get hot, it's going to come down to Creighton, you know, is going to want to play that up-tempo style, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about it more next week. Uh, but that that will be interesting to see if Nebraska can match that and, and can some guys get hot and, and hit some outside shots. Yeah, that's going to be key. If, if Creighton misses some shots, I think Nebraska has a chance. But uh, this is a team that can score in bunches. So uh, They put 110 on uh, NC State. Yeah. But they, credit, Nebraska held uh, UCLA, who was the number one scoring team in the country, to 22 points under their season average at the Wooden Legacy. So, All right, well, the Huskers will play South Dakota on Saturday. It's a 1 o'clock game. Should be a great day for basketball. Um, downtown in Lincoln. You could even slip away and watch some football in between games or before and after. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that and much more here next week. But when we come back, we're going to close the show with Nate Klaus as we get uh, the word on what's going on on the recruiting trail. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, finishing off this class and making sure we see all the top guys, and then working on next year's class too. It's it's kind of a it's a pretty busy time because you're doing home visits and you're still trying to uh, 
touch base with some guys, and then, and then work on next year's class too. And welcome back here to the Husker Alliance Show final segment. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as uh, we talk recruiting, and that was offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf. You know, and Nate, this is a really tough time for the staff. You know, you only have two weeks out in December to see guys. Players are going through final examinations in, in dead week, uh, so it's a really big academic time. And then on Sunday, you find out your bowl opponent, and you have to kind of manage that. And, you know, people from your staff have to, have to go out to the bowl site and, and, and do a self-scout of kind of what your bowl site's going to be for that week. So um, this little two-week stretch is about as stressful as it gets for the coaching staff or the personnel people as they're out on the road trying to get things done. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, this is uh, these very important two weeks. It basically sets the table for you know the rest of the next two months here as you lead up into, into signing day. And, um, you know, and I think especially this first week is super important to get out in front of a lot of your, your top targets um, and guys that have already visited, obviously, but also to try and lock up more official visits, um, you know, here before the dead period or uh, to make sure that you're in the race to get, you know, one of the last visits in the month of January. Uh, and it's interesting Nebraska's approach here because for the second year in a row, they're not going to host any official visitors this that first official visit weekend of the contact period they're going to utilize that entire week and that entire weekend uh, to keep uh, being out on the road and seeing their top prospects seeing uh, having in-home visits with everyone going to a lot of playoff football games on on Friday and Saturday um, and just really going all out that first week out on the road um, until they kind of can get back and, and start up practice again and once they won't they start practice until next Friday on December 9th so really all of next week too is going to be basically all recruiting. Yeah, it, it's uh, and they will have a big official visit weekend uh, that starts on that on uh, December 9th, uh, that next week. But yeah, this weekend uh, or this entire week is has been dedicated to being out on the road. Mike Riley is going in a lot of homes already, which is which is uh, you know similar to what they did last year. And I and I like the approach. They're they're going. Um, you know, they're kind of bringing out the big guns right away and, and trying to trying to set a precedent, trying to impress some kids, uh, showing that, hey, you're a priority for us um, and, and being a little bit different than what a lot of schools do, because uh, for the most part, schools will save that in-home visit with the head coach until later on in the process. Yeah, there is a lot of strategy because you get the one head coach visit and you can make five or is it six total um, five. five. So. Yeah, you've got two weeks in December, three weeks in January where you can be out. And, you know, after next weekend, um, things will go quiet for a month. Um, so that is why, you know, coaching changes are going on. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of things I want to get to. Nate, first of all, where are things on the commit movement? I mean, do you, do you envision anything happening here over this next week? Well, yeah, and that's the, that's a big question because there is a drought right now. Um, you know, it, it went from, you know, during the season, one month without a commit. Well, you know, it's not that big a deal. And then it's two months without a commit. Well, it's not a big of a deal. And now you're, the season's over, in-home visits are started. And um, and really the the one main guy who has set a date to commit is Karan Hafiz, the, the cornerback out of Jacksonville, Florida, who's a mid-year enrollee, is going to be announcing on 
on December 19th. Um, so we know that date for sure. But I do think there's going to be a surprise or two sometime between now and uh, Christmas uh, or, or between that December 19th date. Uh, and it's hard to say exactly where that's going to come from. I, I think there's a couple different people it could be. But um, I certainly think there's going to be a surprise or two, especially with one monster uh, recruiting weekend uh, coming up here on December 9th. I, I think there there could be one that comes out of that weekend too. But um, right now, it's I mean, it's kind of hard to say um, who they're going to get and, and exactly when it's going to come uh, at this point. And, and that's kind of adding to the frustration of, of some of the fans. I think people are growing a little bit impatient, but um, there's no question that I think Nebraska needs a little bit more momentum on the recruiting trail because things have stalled out a little bit. Now, Nate, um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, uh, one thing we reported this week on Husker Online after a John Perella in-home visit is there's going to be a new January um, no-visit rule implemented, um, kind of a gamble. We've never seen Nebraska do something like this where if a prospect takes an official visit over those three January weekends, Nebraska basically can recruit over their spot. Yeah, and, and you know it, it all stems back to the dis, uh, the the decision or kind of the way things played out with Desmond Fitzpatrick last year, where he was a silent commitment to Nebraska for over a month, um, and then in the month of January started taking some official visits, and and Nebraska basically held his spot. Um, they reassured Nebraska time and time again that hey, we're coming, we're just taking these visits, we're we're we've got a we've got a young son that's going to be a, a prospect, we don't want to burn any bridges to other schools, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was one excuse after another, and Nebraska was staying true to their word and saying, okay, well, we've we've got your spot held here. We're not going to recruit anybody. And they actually had um, a couple kids who were lined up to come in on official visits that they canceled. So uh, it went all the way up until that last weekend when when he visited Louisville and then uh, decided to, to flip his commitment to Louisville. Um, and the, it was basically the dead period already. It was left Nebraska holding nothing. Um, uh, and it kind of left them high and dry. So, and you look at their receiver situation after this year; they really would have liked to have get another guy, especially when um, they lost uh, a guy in fall camp. Yeah, exactly. Um, you he would have had a, a four star receiver, a really good four star receiver on your roster right now. Had things played out differently, but um, they don't want that to happen again. And so, what they've done is they've implemented the no visit rule in January. So, if you're committed to Nebraska, they don't want you taking any trips in the month of January. And if they do, uh, or if you do take a trip in, in January, it's basically fair game. They'll, they'll recruit another guy at your position just in case there's movement there. And, um, and I like the rule. I, I think it's smart. I, I think more than anything, I like how they've approached it. They've been very upfront with the commitments about it. They've been very transparent on how it, how it's going to work. Um, you know, I, you, you initially you get a little nervous because we've all seen what's happened at Iowa with their no visit rule. But it's a little different than that because Iowa's no visit rule is once you commit, you can't trip anywhere. You can't go visit anybody. Uh, but uh, let alone talk. No, now Noah Fant. I don't think he ever took the minute. Did he go to Minnesota or not? Yes, he so did. So Noah Fant is kind of like the survivor of the rule. Yeah, he got out of that no visit rule because he did take an official visit to to Minnesota, and the Hawkeyes didn't drop him. But um, if he would have visited Nebraska, they would have dropped oh, him. Oh yeah, I believe so. Um, and and they've lost because of that rule. They've lost four. I think at least four commitments. Four of like their top guys have decommitted from that class. 
uh, because of that no visit rule and and mainly because uh, they're being a little hypocritical because they're telling their commits, hey, you can't visit anybody else. Meanwhile, they've been bringing in kids who are committed to other programs on official visits um, at, at those guys' same positions. So um, it'll be interesting to see if Nebraska still goes after uh, commits in the month of January. Um, if you know if they've told their own commits that they can't visit anywhere, but again, I like how transparent they've been with the rule. And and at the end of the day, I think it's a pretty smart decision by Nebraska the way they're playing things right here. Well, lots to follow here over the weekend as uh, Nebraska's coaches will continue to be out on the road. So make sure you follow Nate Klaus, Mike Mattia, and Brian Munson here on Husker Online as we will bring you in-depth, complete coverage of where Nebraska's coaches will be this week and next as they close out the December recruiting period. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.